Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast and the first one of 2017. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And absolutely nobody else. Just us two. Yeah. And we are both testing out our new microphones tonight as well. Yes. Um, mm. But no, all the other people are off doing their own podcast now with Paul doing a new Underground Nights and Brooker doing a new Character Unlock. Yeah, and and yes. Brian Plank as well joined him on uh, joined Brooker and... John, for uh, the Assassin's Creed special. If we keep did. if we keep giving them their own shows, they're not going to come back and join <laughs> us. Yeah, what we'll do? I mean, we'll give Brian a comic book podcast, shall we? We get uh, you doing a sports one. I'll stick with Val Critics, where everyone's just splitting off. Yeah, um, yeah. it'll all be like like Joey for them, and they'll, they'll all just be awful and come back to us. <laughs> we yeah. we are very much friends, and they are the spin-offs. Yeah, we're not we're not Cheers and they're not Frasier. No, they're not Is that it? successful. No, that's not no. what's happening. Let's not feed their egos too much. <laughs> um, but we've got plenty to talk about between the two of us with the Golden Globes happening um, this last week. Um, we have had a number of, of things happen over the, over the last few weeks. Um, Owen's going to review Silence. We're going to have a bit of a Spielberg chat as we've seen a few of his films between us this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, plenty for us to be going on about, and obviously we'll have recommendations as well. But we won't have a quiz, even though I'm too up and about to make Owen watch something terrible. Um, <laughs> it never really works well as a quiz when there's just the two of us on. So we'll yeah, you never, you week. never did, you never did go and watch uh, Killer Bitch in the end, did you? I'm sure I've seen it. Oh yeah, I think I might bad. have just blanked it from my memory. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Paul just keeps sending me DVDs, and I don't want them. What did he send you recently then? He said, did he send you Mob Handed in the end? I think he sent me Mob Handed. Oh man. See, I made you watch that for the quiz tonight. So what that would that must mean you paid to watch it last time. Did you rent it last time? No, Paul sent me a link, I'm sure he did. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. But, yeah. Um It's just haunting the, us. The, I think the, the DVD I picked up on my way out uh-huh. and left it in the car and it's still in the car. It's still in the car. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> it hasn't gone out the window yet. No, I think he's been like sending it around to loads of people recently. I think I've is said it... before, it's just like the ring. That it video, is the video from the ring. Yep, just haunting yep. people. It is. Or I think you just when we uh, if people have listened to the three and a half hour long best of episode, who who are cobbled together three and a half hours of best of bits. I don't know, but the best of 2016 episode we reviewed it and i think you compared mob handed to strain uh, to it follows in the you know it's oh, just yeah, not, the, not, not the films the actual physical dvd the actual f- exactly yeah. we just can't escape it but i think we should try and make 2017 the year that we finally just put the nail in the coffin on mob handed and killer bitch and we move on to something else i'm scared if i don't watch it dave courtney's going to turn up on my doorstep he will, yeah. yeah. That's what happens. He'll drive over your car in a tank with you locked in the boot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but, um, yeah, we need a new film, though. I mean, because you're, you're, you're 2-0 up. We need this year's Kill Keith, this year's United Passions, this year's Kill a Bitch. We could make, let each other watch good films. It's not going to happen, though, is no, it? No, it's probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't see that happening. We'll find one. We will, yeah. Um, but yes, on to the, the first thing we're going to talk about, and that is over the Christmas and New Year period, um, both Carrie Fisher and her mother, uh, Debbie Reynolds, passed away. Um, 
Carrie Fisher, obviously most famously known for playing Princess Leia in the Star Wars movies. Um, mm-hmm. But she has been in plenty of other things as well. She just, shouldn't just be known for that, although that is her main, main role. Yeah, I mean, she was a bit of a child actor, wasn't she? She was sort of, because uh, her mum was... Um... You know, so famous, she was just put into lots of different things. One of the, from one of those like big Hollywood acting dynasties. Exactly, exactly. Um, but you know, I, I think you're right. Most people, she's quite fairly, she's just going to be um, Princess Leia. Yeah. Um, because it's the most iconic role. It's probably the role she loved most from by all accounts because. Um, She's, you know, it sounds like she had to blast recording the Star Wars movie. She was, of course, in Star Wars: Force Awakens. They're trying to work out what they're going to do. I think she, after... I think she completed filming on Episode Eight. Yes, she had. Um, she finished. She's finished that one. But I think they had plans to keep her character around. Yeah. Um, um, but no. Mm. Yeah, so I imagine she, the plan would have been to keep keep her in Episode Nine. Maybe they can do seeing what they did with um, Peter Cushing in in Rogue One. Yeah, see, that's, that's developed into a strange conversation lately, hasn't it, with Peter Cushing, about the, the actors' rights once they're dead. Because Robin Williams, I think, did you mention this on the Star Wars podcast, about he's got his rights protected, his image rights are protected. One, of us, one of us may have done. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what they did with Peter Cushing, they could potentially do with Any, anybody. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic feat of... Um, you know, t- CGI technology and how they rendered him. They actually got one of the actors from Holby City, who mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to tell you the guy's name or what character he plays. I don't watch it, but he's. I've seen a picture of him. He does have kind of a similar features to Cushing, and they got him in to work on it as well. And you know, it's really clever how they did it, but surely that won't start an avalanche of films just bring back dead actors and CGI, but then yeah. with, with something like Carrie Fisher and Star Wars, where it is the last, perhaps the last of the main nine film focus, as a tribute, they will put her in a couple of scenes. I can't imagine it will be completely, because she wasn't a main role in The Force Awakens. No. So perhaps they will just, you know, as a tribute, put her in a couple of, in the, you know, in a couple well, of scenes that way. They did it, they've done this kind of thing a few times in the past, haven't they? I mean, there was... Um... The Sopranos, I think. Was that one of the first ones where they digitally brought his mom back? Like, the actor, actress died and then they yeah. CG, they CGI'd a face on or green screened a face on or something to someone else. And it was noticeable. But this is, yeah. like, completely different, isn't it? Because it's completely, like, 100% CGI rendered. and um, it, I mean, it does open up an avenue for any, potentially any dead actor to be almost like resurrected I, I can't see them doing it whole I can't see um, new film coming out completely original content not part of a big franchise and then bringing back um, I'm trying to yeah. think I'm trying so, like, I can't see them completely CGIing Robin Williams rights or whatever regardless but you can't see them completely CGIing Robin Williams for a new film that's completely you know original yeah. material but CGIing Carrie Fisher to be Princess Leia in Episode Nine, mm-hmm. yeah, that and that seems fine as well. Same with Peter Cushing; he's part of Star Wars, so yeah, well, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a weird one. It's like, have you have you watched BoJack Horseman? Uh, um, bits of it. Bits of it. Okay, so there's a thing in season two where he kind of flakes out on the film that they're making and they've got half of his stuff there already and in the end what they do is they just completely like they effectively do what they didn't in Rogue One with Peter Cushing but with Bojack they just get a completely different CGI character thing that replaces him and nobody knows and that CGI character goes on to win an Oscar <laughs> so it's kind of like he's getting the the accolades and the 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 uh, awards and all the acclaim, but it's not actually him. I mean, that that if the technology does get good enough, I mean, doesn't it just sort of suggest that 
as as outlandish as it seemed in Bojack, is now almost a potential reality. But I, where... su- I suppose you'll never capture a proper acting performance because you are creating somebody, so you haven't got anybody at you. At best, yeah. at best, you're going to have um, somebody doing a very good impression. Yeah. Like, well, a thing, you know, like, like, a... like you've got in animated movies, somebody doing voice work. At best, you're going to have a very good voice performance from somebody. Yeah. Well, there's a thing that uh, I can't remember who came up with the theory or what it's actually called or anything like that. But I just all I can remember is when my, um, when my wife was doing her digital animation degree about f- f- 10... 10, 11, 12 years ago now, she um, told me about this theory that, because it was digital animation and, you know, what technology was like back then, there's this thing where the more realistic you make something, the more odd it is for the person watching it because it's there's, like, a, a deadness to it. You can never quite capture. It doesn't matter how good the CGI is going to be. You just will never capture the essence of uh, well, I, I, can't, I kind of agree with that from watching Rogue One because while Peter Cushing did look really good in it, you always knew it was CGI. You always knew it wasn't a you real. Know, per- exactly. You always knew it wasn't a real person in amongst real people, especially when a lot of the uh, not the effects, but a lot of the characters that say weren't human in it seemed to be more. Um, costume and practical effects rather than CGI mm-hmm. rendered. It, it seemed to be sort of, you know, going back to Yoda from the original ones rather than Jar Jar Binks from the prequels. Yeah. So, so you could obviously tell he was CGI, but it did look really good. But you could, yeah, you could tell it, was... it wasn't a real person. Although it apparently has fooled some people. Yeah, but they're, see, but they're, sh- they're stupid people. Because, <laughs> because really, they should know he's been dead for 20 years. That is, that is true, yeah. Um, you know, the film that came out in what nineteen seventy seven was it? Yeah. Was the original Star Wars. And, yeah, yeah. He's not gonna a look the same and b just. No, yeah, they're not gonna have good. the same actor in the film looking younger when he's bent forty years older. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, hmm. but you know, I I think that it's it. You, you yeah, you're probably right in that they won't or they shouldn't do it as in bringing an actor back to just make a completely new property with their image but yeah you're right the most we'll probably see of it is when it gets extending uh, gets into extending existing franchises yeah or, um, or maybe paying homage to someone in the existing franchise just having a, a one scene cameo kind of thing mm. to somebody who has passed away recently but then i mean isn't if you if you appear in one movie are you effectively do you now have to sort of sign a waiver, do you think, to say, if this becomes a franchise and I die, you can carry on using my image? Because you don't have rights. Whole... If, you, if you're dead, you don't have rights. Well, no. You, know, you can't libel not... the dead and stuff like that, so they could no. do what they want, effectively. We should make but... use of that on here. Do you think so? Yeah. <laughs> 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 hmm. Although, no, there is a thing about image rights, isn't there? Because, you know, people who use... John Lennon's image, Yoko Ono gets the rights and stuff. Yeah, gets to that. I don't know. I don't know. It's very complicated. I'm sure. But um, I'm sure the answers. I'm sure the answers are either a really interesting or b very boring. Very long and very dull. Mm. Huh? What the? Wait, what? What is this music? Where is the normal jingle? What's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. This is the theme tune to our sister podcast, Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights, hosted by Paul Field and James Mullinger. Rather conveniently, there is a brand new episode of Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights ready for you to download. Just go to failedcritics.com forward slash underground hyphen nights to listen to the guys talk through the results of the Failed Critics Awards, as well as some of the films that you may have missed from 2016. Think of it as an alternative roundup of the best of 2016. Anyway, let's get back to to me and Steve as we chat silence and Spielberg. To shake up the order a bit now, we're going to review some films, a mixture of non-new releases and new releases uh, in this bit and finish off talking about the Golden Globe. Um, I have seen this week on Netflix a film called The Invitation that was released uh, back in um, what was 2015 and... Um, I think it is one of these that was released 
on originally yeah. yeah 2015 but actually in the uk and most yeah. of the world last um, year wasn't it but yeah uh, it's on netflix and my girlfriend found it's got an 88 percent approval rating on rotten tomatoes i think that's probably what made us select it as it was rated quite highly it's got a lot of people in it's one of the films that the cast is made up of people that you recognize from tv shows but you won't have a clue what their name is Mm, um, mm. so for example it's got the guy who plays Dario from um, uh, Game of Thrones it's got uh, a guy in it who's been in 24 and the OC um, and was also in Prometheus um, things like that you, you wouldn't know their names but you probably think oh I know their face I just don't yeah. know where mm-hmm. from and it's about a group of friends who've invited, have been invited by some old friends you haven't really seen for a while um, to a dinner party. One of the people invited in the party used to be with the woman who is hosting it and had a son with her who, who passed away. It's not really important to the story, but that's kind mm-hmm. of... So it, they, they turn up to this dinner party and this one guy is just suspicious of the motives of the people who um, who invited them. Um, as there is something amiss, there's something not quite right, um, but you you initially don't find out so it's really tense it's really good you can never guess what's going on from from the start of it you're just not sure where it's going it could you it could go anything from actually there'd be nothing wrong to it being a cult to it being some kind of vampire thing or conspiracy mm-hmm. thing or or you know these people are murderous cannibals or whatever you've got no idea which way it's going um so it's really tense for the first two acts and then sort of in the third act it comes to its conclusion um, which I won't say what it is because it will spoil it but it kind of ramps up the the pace of the film as everything unravels but yeah it's really good I couldn't recommend it highly enough uh, it's only about an hour and a half long so it's not going to take up much of your time it's definitely worth watching I couldn't second guess it I tend to think without being arrogant I can, I'm quite good <laughs> at, I'm quite good at picking out a plot twist yeah, or calling a, a twist or a, or a film how it's going to play out. And this one, I didn't have a clue. Yeah. Didn't know where it was going for a fair chunk of the, you know for the majority of it. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I have seen it pop up a few times on Netflix. Um, you know, because you know, if you watch, I don't know what what was that film we kept making? We made each other watch. I think I might, might have made you watch the Ouija experiment. Yeah. So anything supernatural, you know, because you watched the Ouija experiment, why not watch? The invitation, yeah, um, and I, I kind of think that it's just one of these that's being pushed quite a lot on Netflix for some reason. Yeah, it's not. And it's so, not like a film like the Ouija Experiment. It, it's better. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's better than the Ouija Experiment. It's one of the better films of its genre I've seen recently because a lot of those films are quite predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, they might just go for jump scares rather than trying to build any kind of tension, and they're just peter out to nothing but this one though was, was completely different and really good mm. all right okay i might have to check it out then in that case because uh, netflix has had quite a lot of good stuff dumped on it lately yeah there's lots of interesting things that have been pushed put on there some weeks it gets absolute drivel put on there as kids shows and reality stuff yeah some yeah. And some weeks it just gets absolute cracking content yeah i mean with the hunt for the world people's being added which i, I watched and really enjoyed um, Son of Saul is on there, which I I got about. I will, I tried to watch it and it was already midnight and I fell asleep after ten minutes, which isn't yeah particularly good sign. Um, but I do want to go back and watch it. And then uh, there was something else that's on there. Oh, Sing Street, which I keep hearing lots of good things about. Well, that we'll come on to that later. It was nom- well, we won't come on to that later specifically, but it was nominated for a Golden Globe in Best mm. Musical or Comedy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you've seen the new release, uh, Silence. Yes, uh, Martin Scorsese's new movie, which is about two and a, two and a half hours long. It's not, well, there's three big names really attached to it. Three big names. It's it's gone through a whole rolodex full of names. This one uh, of people who've been attached to it at various points and then dropped out of it for whatever reason. But in the end, Andrew Garfield is the lead actor here who uh is he hasn't picked up any and again probably an actor we'll talk about in a little while when we talk about the golden globe winners but he didn't pick up any nominations for his role in silence but has for hacksaw ridge which is mel gibson's new movie his war drama which hmm, we'll see we'll see but uh yeah andrew garfield's the lead actor uh him and his mate adam driver who 
You might know Steve as Kylo Ren. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They are both two uh, Portuguese padres, some fathers, some priests, some missionaries uh, in the 17th century, whose mentor, who's played by Liam Neeson, is in Japan, but is rumoured to be missing and uh, even worse, is rumoured to have renounced his faith in the church. And so um, in this period in Japan, it's basically outlawed. You, you, it's forbidden to be a Christian. And the, uh, the Inquisitor is going around killing them all. So it's kind of a dangerous mission that Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver go on. They want to go to Japan. They want to find their mentor. They want to preach and help the Christians in Japan. And it, it's very slow. It's very dramatic. The pace of it is, it's an odd one because, as you can imagine, it's, it's quite a gruelling experience, right? You've got these two guys, they go on this epic journey, but you don't see all of the epic journey. What you see is them in Japan. So uh, all the torture that they witness, all the poverty and the bleakness of the existence of these Christians in Japan and what they're faced with every day just to be able to worship God. And, um, you know, Scorsese's got this big thing about Catholicism and Christianity and, uh, you know, it's kind of like been his thing ever since, I think, Mean Streets probably, where he just uh, kind of built up a reputation about Catholic guilt. And um, you get to see that in almost all of his movies. And perhaps with the exception of The Last Temptation of Christ, I'm going to say this is probably the one that uh, will be the most on the nose in that regard. It's all about how you sacrifice in order to worship, right? It's all about what you have to do. And the the term silence comes from, as in the title of the film, comes from the fact that you never get a reply from God. You can re- You can pray to him as much as you want. You can worship him. You can sing to him. You can get down on your knees and plead for an answer to any question that you have about, you know, why is this happening to people? Why uh, why in Japan are these Christians being slaughtered? And uh, But all you'll get is silence. You, will not, you won't get a reply. So it's quite a, 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 you know, a provocative, quite an emotional kind of movie, quite a, a moving sort of, of story. But like I said, I can't, I, I can't really explain how much of a, a slow-burning drama I really thought it was. It kind of... It it wants to well I I got the impression that it wants to rush itself, right? It's aware that it's it's quite timid, it's quite sedate, and you're plowing through this this mission, uh, but at the same time it's trying to put so much in there, and it's trying to relate everything back to what's happening to Andrew Garfield to what Jesus went through, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to tell you everything about it because, it, you know, it, it was a two and a half hour long movie and I'll be here for two and a half hours just trying to pick apart the first couple, uh, never mind the actual sort of finale to it. But it's, yeah, I mean, for, for some people, it's going to put them off because it's of, of what it is, you know, it's a bit preachy. I think Andrew Brooker wrote the review on our website on foulcritics.com. He um, mentioned uh, the same that, you know... <laughs> It's one of these things where do you want to really sit in a cinema and be preached at for two and a half hours about how hard it is to be a Christian? I mean, I don't particularly, although what I do like is uh, are these sort of long-form dramas. and So it's kind of right up my street and also at the same time a little bit of apprehension set in. But, you know, I like it. I think I do like it. I think. Possibly. I do. Yeah, I think. I think so. But there will be people who who won't like it. It's not a really good, very good review, so I apologise. I am rambling a little bit, but um, just watch the trailer. I can't say anymore. Watch the trailer. If you think it looks okay from the trailer, you'll probably think it's okay. How's that? Sounds like it's okay. It's okay. I like it. Uh, I think. Right. Fair enough. Yep. <laughs> um, but <laughs> onto a slightly more easier film to talk about. I think you, we were going to talk about Spielberg, right? And you've watched. Um, the Colour Purple for the first time. Yes, um, another film that 
uh, my girlfriend made me watch, or didn't make me watch, <laughs> not made me watch, but wanted us yeah. to watch. She's seen it loads of times before. I've not seen it before. Um, and it stars Whoopi Goldberg, Danny Glover, Oprah Winfrey in an acting mm-hmm. role. She has done a few acting roles. She always seems to get very good reviews when she does acting, um, rather than chat show hosting and giving stuff away for free. Yeah, yeah, you know, she's um, yeah, yeah. Mm. All that, Same with Whoopi that, Goldberg, really. Or that bizarre conspiracy theory about her chasing Dave Chappelle out of Hollywood or something. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's that's mental. But anyway, is it? I mean, she's a very powerful person. Yeah, but, a lot of influence. Yeah, but that just sounds mad. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> um, so it's. I didn't eat when I when I was watching it and when I was, mm-hmm. saw what it was about. I didn't really put it down as a Spielberg film. I didn't know. It, I didn't know he did it, directed it until after the fact. Um, and I didn't really have it down as a, a Spielberg film. It's one of those films that Spielberg sometimes does that it doesn't you're right it doesn't necessarily feel like Spielberg right I mean because it's not um, Close Encounters it's not uh, Jurassic Park it's not Raiders of the Lost Ark it's more like something like Empire of the Sun you know if you've ever watched that which also came out in the 80s which was quite good I mean it's one of these dramas that he he can do and he can do very well I would argue that The Colour Purple is n- perhaps not one of those that he does very well. I mean, what did you think of it, though? I thought it, I thought it was good. Um, I thought the, the, the central performances from, say, Whoopi Goldberg was, was really good as Seeley. Um, and it had other, other good performances in there. One was from Oprah Winfrey, who we spoke about earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I, I wouldn't put it among Spielberg's best films because he's got a lot of iconic <laughs> films really that I can movies. yeah he's got a fantastic back catalogue and some of them are my favourite films of all time mm. um, but no it was, it was a good film um, this might sound stupid on face value but I kind of saw bits of Forrest Gump in it where it's quite it, it wasn't it's darker obviously it's a bit deeper than what Forrest Gump is but it's quite episodic in terms of it follows somebody's life through different episodes and different events yeah like um yeah well that's what robert zemeckis is quite good at i think and uh, i think they do have a little bit of crossover uh, in terms of directors particularly with these sort of movies you know i was thinking of war horse as well yeah it's similar in terms of the pattern in that yeah uh, it's episodic um less so than something like say uh lincoln which i think has a similar kind of feel to the colour purple um, but is less I mean the, the Lincoln's just about one particular period isn't it yeah so, yeah, yeah I mean I in terms of Whoopi Goldberg I know she was very raw at that stage in her career um, I don't think it was her first performance but it was one of her early early roles wasn't it and she I, I think I think when she was asked to be more dramatic when she was asked to put on a show she could do that i thought she struggled a bit through some of the quieter scenes and i found her a little bit yeah. cheesy and some all, all she's done according to her filmography before the color purple was a film called citizen i'm not losing my mind i'm giving it away yeah so she, she was still quite but i mean I, i'm sure she must have done other things that yeah you know plays or something but hmm yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm just not that keen on it. But um, and there's there's bits in it that just are just weird. The weird sort of like lesbian bit. Yeah, that was that was a bit out of nowhere. It was a bit strange. What what was that about? And the bit where she's like, I think I said in the email to you, didn't I? Where she teaches her to smile. I was like, oh god, just stick my fingers down my throat and throw up a bit. Yeah, there were a few bits of bit like that, but yeah. Um, you've seen a Spielberg film for the first time <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I think I said on my Letterboxd review, I logged it on there, I said I've logged 2,677 films on Letterboxd and none of them have been Spielberg's classic Schindler's List. I've, I've still not seen it. Have you not either? No. Okay, that makes me feel a bit better. <laughs> you, you know, surprising no one, it's just bloody good. It is really just one of his best and uh, I think it shows that it's like a passion project of his. He was so desperate to make this movie. It's just got every, every ounce of it is dripping in 
like the blood, sweat, and tears of a director trying to to tell this like really powerful story without without making it saccharine, without making it too um, overbearingly sweet and um, schmaltzy, and kind of the things that Spielberg is accused of sometimes, and guilty of, I should say, not just accused of. It's just an incredible story about an incredible man, and it's told in an incredible way. And I just think it's um, it's deserving of all its it's well some of its praise, but it is very very good. Let's you know let's let's make no mistake about that. It's just weird as well though, because my favourite film that Spielberg's made is Jurassic Park. I think that's like the best thing he's ever done. Yeah. Um, it's almost the perfect adventure movie. Everything about it, particularly, I think right up until. Because, like, at the moment where they say welcome to Jurassic Park and you see all that, up to that point, phenomenal. Couldn't be a better movie at any any particular second of that. Nothing is wasted. Everything's spot on. Uh, it, I mean, after that, you get the introduction of the kids and all that kind of thing where it's, it's a little bit... You know, it's still good. I'm not going to criticise Jurassic Park because I'm not an idiot. But, like, it's interesting, though, to, to make Schindler's List, he had to make Jurassic Park. That was kind of the deal. Yeah. So it's weird that they both came out at the same time and they're like two of his best movies. He's he's very versatile. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, he is. That's a good word to describe him. There's so many different types of film in his his filmography. I mean, if you even if you just look at upcoming films, um, he's got Ready Player One, Jurassic World sequel, and Indiana Jones Five. This is his next three projects. It's all very different. Although you know, you just mentioned Indiana, Indiana Jones Five. They they put them all on TV recently. Yeah. They were all on BBC over Christmas, uh, or ITV or Channel 4 or something. So I, I recorded them because it's been ages since I actually watched them. And uh, I felt a bit bad because I've never really liked Indiana Jones. Um, it's just never been my cup of tea. Well, we know how you don't like fun because you don't like Star Wars and you don't like Die no, Hard, so... I like Die Hard. Who said I don't like well, Die Hard? Well, you don't rate, yeah. Who spread that rumour? Um, no, I don't enjoy fun. <laughs> That's not true. But I, I just never really clicked with Raiders. Um, so I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to re-watch them all. I'm going to watch all three of them. I'll watch the, the recent one, even though I know it's shit. Well, I know its reputation is that it's shit, I should say. So I watched Raiders and, oh God, it was so boring. <laughs> I was so bored again. And now my enthusiasm to watch the rest of them is gone. But are you, are you a big fan of them? Indiana Jones yeah films. I love them but I like yeah. I like Star Wars I like that kind of film it's yeah well Fractured, George Lucas yeah, yeah. Um, mm. but yeah anyone who can direct Hook Jurassic Park and Schindler's List <laughs> I mean they are very different I mean the other thing as well is that you know if you think of uh, Jaws was almost a movie he didn't, he didn't do he was given yeah. he was given Jaws to do because the previous director I think um, was going to he, he, could, he couldn't tell the difference between a shark and a whale. He was going to make the whale jump out of the water and eat people. And they were like, no, it's a shark. Fuck off, you're fired. And then he went and made and bought- Free Willy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But yeah, so Spielberg was kind of drafted into that. And it kind of created the, the storm of blockbuster movies. Some of blockbusters. I mean, on to Jaws, because you've also watched a couple of other... Uh, I did watch Jaws. You've started yeah. us about, obviously, uh, the Indiana Jones you've watched. We also saw Jaws. I did also see Jaws, and it's brilliant. Seen, you know, I've always you've seen Jaws before, haven't you? Oh yeah, yeah, plenty of times, loads of times. Um, that is just brilliant. Brilliant is the word. Yeah, it's a, it's a flipping great movie, um, and it's better than just like a creature feature as well. Because I watched Jaws two afterwards, and Jaws two is a pile of shit. Which is the one with Michael Caine, where in the interview he just basically said he did it because of. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen the film? No, but I've seen the house it's built and it's lovely. Yeah. Or whatever he said. Yeah. Um, the uh, now Jaws two is basically set. Uh, I can't remember whether it's like five or five or ten years afterwards or something, uh, in the same town, and uh, it's basically just about the kids. And the director's got no idea what to do with them, so he just has the kids eaten by sharks. It's just stupid. Absolutely fucking pointless movie. But Jaws is is great. And, uh, yeah, you can, like, I was going to say, you can see the difference, like, in lesser hands, if someone had handled that, like, the other person handled Jaws 2, 
the Argentinian French guy, I can't remember his name, then it would have just faltered. But it was given to someone who was really doing exciting things with it. And it just had a lot of fun. And that fun became infectious because then the movie itself was just sublime. It's just just great. But I will say, I do think that having seen them now, Schindler's List is probably the better movie. But I I, I think I enjoy Jaws more. You know, I'm, yeah. I'll probably never well, watch Schindler's yeah. List now. It's Schindler's List strikes me as one of those films that you'd watch maybe two or three times in a lifetime because of the subject matter. It's quite heavy. Whereas George, you could quite happily watch a couple of times a year. Yeah, I mean, Schindler's List is. Um, I've seen, I've seen more harrowing dramas about the Holocaust, and I don't mean to do like a disservice to the weight of Schindler's List. I, th- I think, as well as said in my review, that these all these movies, they they have a certain amount of power in them anyway. There's a certain amount of. Um, weight that they'll, that they'll just naturally have because of the subject matter. It's about how that is then handled. You know, The Pianist is is a great example of that being done well. Boy in the Striped Pajamas as well is a good example of how that's done well. Life is Beautiful, Good, uh, Pulaska. I mean, Speaking of The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, I saw that in the last week. That was, oh, did you? Yeah, that was... That bloody hell. Mm. Didn't see that coming. Bit of a gut punch, isn't it? It was. Mm-hmm. My mum, I think I may have told this on the podcast before, but my mum watched that film, didn't really know what it was about. She just heard that it was a good drama. And um, immediately afterwards, just put the DVD in the bin. Just, just binned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that was horrific. She, she said it was horrible. I'm never, that's just going in the bin. I'm binning that because she thought it was just so traumatic. Just like the most horrendous thing that she'd ever seen. Just didn't want it in the house. Just didn't want it in the house anymore. <laughs> But um, but yeah, so they they all have that certain amount of uh, drama, a certain amount of of uh, energy uh, about them. But the the thing with Schindler's List is, I think it tells a really good story as well, which is you know what kind of helps elevate it a bit. Yeah, and it's like I said, because just just you can tell from Spielberg that what he's put into it is all on the screen. Every single bit of that is so meticulously crafted um yeah so it's a really good film i would say jurassic park is my favorite have you got a favorite or is there a number of them that you've got as favorites it's either jurassic park or jaws okay yeah anything with teeth anything with teeth yeah yeah um i would also add close encounters of the third kind yeah as a, as a sort of top two jurassic park miles ahead just because, it, like I say, I think it's the perfect adventure movie. And then Close Encounters would be second. But I do also like things like Empire of the Sun. I know a lot of people kind of rubs them up the wrong way, but I thought it was it was brilliant. Um, AI, artificial intelligence, I think yeah. is really good. War of the Worlds is a bit underrated as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind that as like an action-adventure film. Yeah, I think it gets a bit of a stick because it's got Tom Cruise in it and because it's got that girl screaming all the time yeah um, but it's a really good sci-fi monster movie very watchable yeah yeah i've you know said it multiple times and i think it's really good the sound effect in it is just fantastic as well with the uh the tripods yeah that horn sound is just great um but even you know i think he still proves that you can still make really good movies you know bridge of spires for example yeah was very good lincoln i thought was good bfg last year again three Three very different films. Yeah, totally different. Totally different movies. But he just he's good at just turning his hand to it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, w- I was expecting you to say, instead of Jaws, I thought you were going to say Saving Private Ryan, I'll be honest. Because I know you've I talked about that a lot. I haven't seen it for so long. I couldn't... Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is great. He seems mm. to have this good relationship with Tom Hanks where you can put him in anything and it works. Yeah, the terminal as well. Yeah. You know? That's another good one. Yeah, so um, I think the only the only one we haven't really mentioned that's one of his bigger movies is E.T. Have you got any relationship whatsoever to E.T.? I love it. You love it? Okay. Yeah. All right. It's, it's great fun. Mm-hmm. And it's got those kind of deeper moments in it as well, more emotional ones. And But no, it's, it's, it's 
great. It's one of those, you know, like the Goonies, which he's involved with, like kids, kids' adventure films. Yeah. Things that, things that have kind of inspired, like, Super 8 and definitely Stranger Things from this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was a huge influence on Stranger Things, wasn't it? Which is so weird. Much, so, so much so that in that scene in Stranger Things, when they're all riding their bikes... I thought when the police were chasing them, she was going to make the <laughs> bike. The bikes will take off rather than flip the police car over. It was just going to fly I just, off. I could just yeah. see the bikes flying off. I thought the way this program has been like so influenced by eighties kids movies, it would have just done that. But that didn't. No, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was very uh, inspired by. I think. Yeah, I was talking to Ben, um, Ben Chaloner, sorry, from Sudden Double Deep. Uh, about this recently, and it, you know, you can you can forget how good a director Spielberg can be. Yeah. Because you watch, you know, some of his more recent stuff. Although Bridge of Spies is good, um, although Lincoln is good, although BFG is good, although Tintin is enjoyable, although The Terminal's good, although War of Worlds, War of the Worlds is good, etc., etc., etc. There's um, y- you forget that this guy, this this bloke, could make some of the the greatest movies that you'll see in any genre i think he'll probably go down as one of the best of the uh, the last century oh undoubtedly ha well spotted this isn't our regular jingle either and this is a theme tune for another of the Failed Critics Sister podcasts. This is the tune for Character Unlock, which is hosted by Andrew Brooker and John Miller. It's all about computer games, including a recent edition all about Assassin's Creed. You can go back and find that on the Failed Critics subscription feed, so wherever you got this podcast from, or head to failedcritics.com forward slash character hyphen unlock. And now it's time for Steve and I to round up the results of the Golden Globes. The Golden Globes. It seemed to be uh, a resounding success for La La Land. Seven nominations and and it won every single nom. It won everything that yeah, it was nominated it took, for. It I think. took uh, it took best musical or comedy. Mm-hmm. Golden Globes obviously splits it into drama and, and musical or comedy. Yes. It took uh, best uh, actor and actress for, in, yeah, those, in, the, in that in that musical well. or comedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It took best director. Best screenplay. Uh, best I think. screenplay. Best and original, score, of course. Yeah, best yeah. original score, uh, best original song. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Let's not forget, it's a musical. It <laughs> is. So it took, all of, it took all of those. Yeah. So I went to see this recently. I'm not going to review it because we'll do that next week. We're going to yeah, run out of time. The, if we the, thing with, the thing with a lot of the films um, in the Golden Globes, we can't talk about many of them because we haven't seen many of them. Yeah, precisely, precisely. You know, Lion isn't out here yet. Um, so we're just going to end up doing the kind of e-entertainment celebrity hack thing and talking about all the speeches. Yeah, we will do. We will come on to the speeches, but we'll do our best to pick out some of the things. Like, for example, um, La La Land was in, cate- uh, in the category of musical or comedy, and it was up against Sing Street, which we mentioned earlier is now on Netflix, and I'm definitely going to watch it at some point. It was up against Florence Foster Jenkins. That came out last year. It was also up against Deadpool which is weird to just think that Deadpool's been nominated for a was, best motion was, picture. Was Deadpool one of the five best musicals or comedies last in the, in the last year? Yeah, probably. It, it was very funny. Yeah. I can't it, think it, of it, many... It just, it just seems strange to see a, a superhero film in one of these kind of prestigious awards. That's what I mean, yeah. Just a, a Fox like franchise movie to just get nominated for for a golden globe just seems yeah. a bit weird but um deserving i'm not i'm not taking that away from it i think it definitely deserved it yeah um what i will just quickly say about la la land right are you before i say that though are you going to see la la land do you think yeah yes you will yeah what's your expectations of it um i don't have any because okay as a rule, I don't like musicals, but there are probably three or four I do like. Well, you uh, like Les Mis, didn't you, recently? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I say recently. It was like four, five years ago now. Five yeah. years ago, I think. 2012. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't like musicals, and I liked La La Land, 
I didn't love it. Some people are talking about it's the most revolutionary movie and, you know, it's the greatest yeah, thing but, that's come out in but, years. But, but people said that about The Artist, didn't they, when that came out? And that that was good, but not as good as what everyone said it was. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting comparison. I did prefer The Artist, I have to be honest. Um, but mainly because I think the thing with The Artist is you... No, the thing with La La Land, right? It's the same thing that happens to me. It's kind of a personal thing. I know some people enjoy it and they get swept up in it. Uh, but every time someone starts to sing or dance, I just get completely taken out of the movie. It just, I just, uh, I lose it. I can't stay with it anymore. It just seems like completely absurd to see these people just break into sing, uh, singing and dancing. I just lose it. So I, for that, whenever whenever it broke into these big musical numbers and these uh, big routines is when it lost me. Everything else I really liked. And I think that what's, what people are saying about La La Land, um, I say people, what I've spoken to some people about, Matt Latham, for example, um, I was talking to him on Twitter quite recently, and what he said was that he liked it when it was a musical or otherwise he found that there was like 70% of the movie was just boring drama and he just thought he just couldn't decide what it wanted to be and when it was a musical it was fine and when it wasn't it was just generic um, whereas I've seen other people like myself I would include myself in this and say the, my favourite thing about it is the, the drama and the romance and, and all of that I think it does it really well and the aesthetic of it um but yeah, so I mean, I can I've, I can understand why it's been nominated for Best Motion Picture. Brooker won't be happy about it. He absolutely tore it a new one online. He wrote a really scathing review of it. He hated it. Um, so it's definitely going to rub some people up the wrong way. But yeah. Yeah. But in drama, Moonlight, we haven't got yet. It doesn't come out until next month. Got ages no, have, to wait for that. Have any of those films we had yet in, in nominated in that category? Uh, Hell or High Water came out last year. Um, right. But it was only on a few screens for about a week. It wasn't a, a massive release. Yeah. Um, so Hell or High Water came out last year. Moonlight hasn't come out. Hacksaw Ridge hasn't come out, the new, um, I think I said, Mel Gibson film. Uh, Lion hasn't come out and Manchester by the Sea hasn't come out although I have seen Manchester by the Sea yeah because that was a preview screening yesterday and again we'll do a proper review of it next week yeah um, but the thing with Manchester by the Sea is uh, Casey Affleck won Best Actor yes he did yeah mm-hmm. whereas Gosling and Emma Stone from La La Land picked it up for musical or comedy yeah deservedly again I'll just say I think they both deserved that they were both the best thing about La La Land but Casey Affleck Affleck, I can again I can see why he's won this um, as best actor in a drama because uh, it's that type of movie is what I'll say yeah and I can't be any more cynical than that can I backhanded compliment he's won it because it's just that sort of movie Uh, I, I think what helps him what helps him with this is I mean he is good don't get me wrong um but it's his character and it's the character's story, and it's a very empathetic role to play. And um, yeah, I think he's won it because of the the character as much as he's won it for his performance. To be honest, so if you're given a, a character that's quite emotionally complex and you can convey that complexity, then yeah. of course you're going to pick up some at least nominations. I don't know who's going to the thing like this is going to. And it's going to be one of those things that when you've seen both of these films, we can have a deeper discussion about it. I think the Oscar will be between Gosling and Affleck. I can't see anyone else getting in there now. Right. But like I say, we'll, when you've seen them both, we'll, we'll have a chat about it then, I think. So uh, Best Actress went to Isabella Huppert for Elle, who, uh, that's a foreign language film that won that as well. Doesn't happen very often, does it? No. She beat uh, Amy Adams from Arrival. Oh, did you did you really like Amy Adams in Arrival? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, I thought it was a good film, good performance. Mhm, mhm. Um, I think when it the comes, more, the more I think about it, the less memorable it actually was. Yeah, Arrival. When when I first come out of it, I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow. 
Uh-huh. And sort of more I think about it, less of an impression it actually has on me. You're coming around, Steve. You're coming around. <laughs> yeah. But she, but uh, Isabella Hooper beat Amy Adams, beat Jessica Chastain for Miss Sion. Sion? Sion? Yeah. I don't know. Sean? Whatever. Um, I don't know what that is. But yeah, uh, uh, in terms of, I don't know what a performance is like in that. But, you know. Ruth Negger for Loving, she beat. And uh, Natalie Portman for Jackie. See, that's the one I think might possibly sort of sway towards uh, an Oscar vote I think more so than Isabella Huppert yeah although you know Callum when he was on our end of year awards he said L is as good as you've heard it is if not better so you know are there any any other actors and things that you want to talk about I know we haven't really talked about supporting actors and actresses not, not so much in the films but like I think it's because there's so little a few of the films have been released yet. I've not seen Enough it to really make a it's difficult, a comment. Isn't it? Yeah, it's difficult to talk about them when we haven't actually seen them. All we can go on is what other people have said. Until they yeah. start sending us screeners, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. And then, uh, yeah, you don't want that because then we'll get all the accusations of being the people who are leaking the films and taken to court and stuff. I, I, wouldn't, we'll know to... how, I wouldn't know how. It's too complicated for me. Yeah, we'll have to start... Um, we could do it and run it as a side business. Who knows? Um, yeah, the other thing is, is television again mm-hmm. not seen too many of these shows some of them probably not even that well publicised published or whatever in yeah but the the dramas are the big ones right and I think um, there's a bit of a shock in uh, the best drama series um, because beating Westworld beating This Is Us beating Stranger Things beating Game of Thrones is The Crown which is another Netflix film that's yeah. won. A Netflix show that's won. All about Big Liz 2. <laughs> Big Liz 2, yeah, exactly. Um, that's what it is. And you haven't seen any of it yet? Or no, you... it doesn't, doesn't... I say in, yet, does, but... doesn't doesn't interest me in the slightest. No. Even, even winning Golden Globe for Best Drama TV Show doesn't interest me at all. Yeah. Do you know what? I... Uh, I keep hearing people say how good it is. I keep hearing about how great the crown is and you know it seems to have hit an audience of everybody doesn't you know there's no particular type of person that seems to enjoy the crown i've heard lots of different people say that it's really good and so um i was literally in the car listening to the radio and they were talking about it on there you know i I just thought for fuck's sake i'm gonna just have to watch at least the first episode just to see what it's like i don't like you i don't think it it really looks like my sort of thing as a sort of period drama about the royals, just not particularly my it's probably normal it's, go-to. Probably, it's probably why it's done so well in America. They love the royals. Exactly, yeah, I think love that's them. part of it. But um, I, I just got sick of hearing about it, and so I thought I'll give it a go. And the first episode, I thought, was okay. It was watchable without really drawing me in. And then I left it. I watched um, A Man for All Seasons because... Uh, it was on uh, on Netflix, and also because it's it won all the Oscars. It was a major film in 1966, so I thought I'll watch that, which is about Thomas Cromwell, which then made me want to go back and I watched Wolf Hall, because when that was on TV, I watched the first two episodes and gave up on that. But actually, this time around, I've really liked it. I think Wolf Hall's been really good. So then I went back and watched another episode of The Crown, and The Crown is just it's just so boring. It's just so fucking boring. It's so dull. It's it's one of these like I imagine. Downton Abbey to be. It's lavish, you know? It's very showy-offy. It's got lots of money clearly pumped into it. It's got big names in it. And, you know, performances are decent, but it's just so... so boring is the only word I can think to describe it. So I'm very surprised to see it beat things like Westworld and Stranger Things. Game of Thrones I can kind of understand. I think they're doing a, a, a Lord of the Rings with it. You know how Lord of the Rings, they waited for Return of the King before giving it awards? Yeah. I think that's what's happening. I think that's what's happening with uh, Stranger, uh, with uh, Game of Thrones. But yeah, I'm surprised it's beaten Westworld and, and Stranger Things. Yeah, it um, seems a bit strange to me, but maybe it's just because the Americans love the royals. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I, again, best best actor, Billy Bob Thornton. Um, 
don't really in, like in, Billy in, Bob Thornton. I'm in, just going to say that now. I just don't really like him very in, much. In Goliath, not seeing Goliath. Claire no. Foy in The Crown as, as Queen Elizabeth. Again, not seeing it so much. I don't don't know. I, I can't really comment too much on... Um, the Night Manager did well, though. Yes, it did do well. Um, <laughs> did you watch it, first of all? Um, no, I didn't, no. No. I... I watched the first two episodes, I think, and again, I thought it was a bit boring. I just didn't get on with it very well, and uh, it it had that effect for a lot of other people I know. A lot of other people I was talking to at the time said the same thing. Whereas, um, you know, it came with all this fanfare and it was a really big, a uh, big BBC production. And it had big names in it again. Hugh Laurie, Olivia Colburn, all picked up awards. Uh, Tom Hiddleston. But it just... uh, I don't know. I just... I just didn't... It just didn't grab me, I think. But, you know, it's it's one of these that's clearly going to make awards... People who hand out awards turn heads and stuff, so... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Shall we... um move on to some of the speeches and controversies yeah because there has been a bit of uh, yeah. controversy yes there has been a fair bit biggest one perhaps being Meryl Streep and um, Donald Trump's reaction <laughs> he's <laughs> a fucking child isn't he what? I, I don't get why the president of the USA is being allowed to use his Twitter account in this manner it just seems it, ridiculous he, so we had Paul on last year when we did our Oscars specials and do you remember he was talking about how um, when these actors come on and they receive their awards or and they give these speeches that are just filled with political propaganda right I think he was saying in regards to Leonardo DiCaprio talking about environmental causes and stuff from picking up an award for The Revenant and he, he, he pointed out that it's Absurd! It's ridiculous that actors are given a platform to spout political beliefs in that manner. However, even Paul agrees that Meryl Streep's speech is just fantastic. And because it's the person it's aimed at and what it's talking about. It's not like a shoehorning in of uh, an awareness campaign to make them look good, is it? I mean, she's, she's standing up to bullying, basically. Yeah, and I think because of the reaction of Donald Trump, it just it just makes her speech even that more. It, it increases the impact of it. I think. I just don't know. Did you you watched a bit of the speech, didn't you? Yeah, I just find it irritating when these people use an awards acceptance speech as their own personal um, soapbox. So, did you find it a bit annoying then? Yeah, not not exactly the content. What she was saying, just. Don't use, you know, people at the Golden Globe. Just, just thank the people involved, and and get off. Well, I think it's normally I would, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, normally perhaps I would have agreed, but I think now. And again, I said this last year. I think when it's being done for something like this, which is clearly a, a cause that is very uh, important to Meryl Streep. Right, important to a lot of people, and she's the voice of it. Lots of people are going to sit up and listen. Right, it's different to point scoring. I don't think this was point scoring. I don't think she was saying what she was saying just so people would like her more. I think it was a heartfelt speech about the state of the country that she is, you know, living in, and is very close to her. Um. What about some of the other speeches that we had then? A couple that I didn't notice uh, there was anything wrong with them but have been plucked out and criticised. So you had the stuff like people criticising Meryl Streep who are from the sort of far right and on Donald Trump's side and then you had people on the very far left who were criticising Tom Hiddleston and Ryan Gosling for frivolous reasons I think one of the things that Tom Hiddleston said after picking up his award for the night manager he said that uh, basically what boiled what it boiled down to is people were accusing him of patting himself on the back for finding people in South Sudan 
who've seen his show that he was in. And what he was actually doing was saying how it's just crazy how even in these like war-torn countries, in these like poverty-stricken places, that people can still find enjoyment. Like what they do, what actors do, what people in the film and TV business do can still bring a little bit of joy to people in places where there probably is not very much of it going around. And so he got picked up on that saying, oh, what a smug arsehole, you know, basically just praising himself. And I don't think that was exactly what happened. Similarly, Ryan Gosling was thanking his wife, Eva Mendes, for letting him, uh, well, not for letting him, but for basically she she looked after the home. She looked after their kids. She's pregnant. She looked after her brother who's got cancer so that Ryan Gosling could have what he, I think, described as the experience of his career in making La La Land, like the best experience he's had in film. And so then he was branded a sexist pig. And it's just like, this is just ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, people are idiots and they just get offended by everything. He's not done anything wrong. He's just said thank you because if you didn't yeah, do, do, do this, that and the other, I couldn't have done this. Exactly. And He's all, not told her to get the, in the kitchen so he can go to work, has he? No, I mean, that's not what's no. happened. What would, what, would the, what would it have been, what would the reaction have been if she had done La La Land and he had stayed at home looking after the kid um, or two kids and her brother and, he, and she had said, oh, thank you to my husband because he stayed at home and done this, that and the other, which has enabled me to go off and do this project that I've yeah. loved so much. Well, would your reaction be the same? No, probably not. These people who complain about these things, if they pick something properly, properly important to be offended and wound up by and protest against and be upset about, they might actually achieve something. If they, yeah, if they, all that energy was put into tackling actual issues rather than picking on easy, perhaps pointless uh, endeavours like this... I mean, it's not even that it's pointless. What it does is it has an opposite effect because then it just gives gives more um, sort of advantage to the people who are of the far right and say, well, look at these idiots getting wound up by something as frivolous as this. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just it's just a catch-22 situation in that... Uh, well, it's not catch-22. It's just, a, it's just a, a backwards situation, though, where you, you're either super offended by something stupid or you're super offended by the people who are offended yeah and it's it's that's not what the world should be it's not what should be happening but it seems to be the situation at the moment and um i don't think i'm gonna be able to solve it on a podcast about movies yeah well the, yeah. there we go that's pretty much it for this week's um fail critics podcast um just got to recommend something for all of you to watch from each of us mm-hmm um Owen, what have you got in mind for people? Well, uh, on the subject of TV, there's a new series started on BBC, written by Stephen Knight, who is the guy behind Peaky Blinders and recently did Allied. He and executive producer Ridley Scott have gotten together and they've cast Tom Hardy in a new series called Taboo, which is on BBC. Which is, uh, he basically plays a guy who's just come back from Africa. His father's died. We've had one episode. There's a bit of a, a sort of an estate that he owns, a bit of land that seems very important to the British over in uh, America. It's set in 1814 or something like that. So, um, very, very promising start, I thought. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing where it goes. And I think it's on Saturday at 9 pm. It's called Taboo. Very much worth keeping an eye on that one. Okay. I'm going to recommend the film I spoke about earlier on Netflix, which is The Invitation. Very good. I would recommend Hunt for the World of People as well on Netflix if people haven't seen it. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's it for this week's Fellow Credits Podcast. Thank you all for listening. There are obviously episodes of Underground Nights and Character Unlocked available to listen to also. Uh, and what have we got next week? Next week we're doing our um, La La Land and Manchester by the Sea and Live by Night I think, the new Ben Affleck crime thrillery thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, quite a few of the bigger films are coming up now. We're into we're fully into Oscar season. Yes, we are. We've had Assassin's Creed, that's gone. That rolled in on the 1st of uh, January and then rolled back out again. And uh, it's all about all about the big Oscar awards movies now. 
Yes, we are very much there. So join us next week with reviews of La La Land and Manchester by the Sea. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.